the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress, where Ray and Alexandra Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel broadcasting live. Thank you for joining us today. Welcome, Ray. Let's look at the story that we finished yesterday and immediately see what Jesus does. He brings a little 12-year-old girl back to life. He restores her and he says, give her some food. And then we find in the sixth chapter of Mark, Jesus left there and he went to his hometown. He was accompanied by his disciples. And when the Sabbath day came, he went to the synagogue and he began to teach. And people were amazed as they listened to his words. Now, Nazareth is an ugly little town as far as I'm concerned. It's backwater. It's, it's very poor. And it's built on hills, up and down, up and down. It's not welcoming like other cities. I didn't want to spend very much time there when I was in Israel. But I did want to look at where Jesus was taken by the crowds. Now, we have a fuller account of what Mark shares in the fourth chapter of the book of Luke. So let's turn to Luke 4 and pick up the story. He goes to the synagogue. He reads out of the prophet Isaiah. He was standing as he read. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he handed the scroll back and he sat down in the seat of Moses. In that day, if you had something important to say, you sat down and the congregation stood. And he said to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now they were not very happy with his words. He was claiming to be the Messiah. Listen. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? And Jesus says to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal thyself. Do here in your hometown what we heard you did in Capernaum. I tell you the truth, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there will be many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years. There was a severe famine throughout the land, yet Elijah was not sent to any of them but to the widow of Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman, the Syrian, and the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard him say this. 
they got up and they drove him out of town and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. They were angry. The scripture tells us that he didn't do many healings. Not because he could not heal, but because the people of Nazareth were not in a position with God to allow him to heal them. And so he did not do there what he did in Capernaum where he raised a little 12-year-old back to life. There were sick people. He healed a few, the scriptures tell us in Mark. He healed a few but not very many. Now, I want to say some things that may be very startling to you. If you hear the word of God and it does not change the way you live, you did not hear the word of God. It is impossible to hear the word of God and continue to live in the common culture of the day. When you hear the word of God, it demands action on your part. I want to share just briefly part of what I'm going through with this. Last Saturday, I was driving home and I was forced off the road and the right wheel of my car, the front wheel, dropped over the edge. There was no berm on this road. Dropped over the edge into a three-foot culvert that ran for some time. The car immediately rolled over. A very rough ride. Airbags deployed. I hung upside down and then by God's grace the car flipped back on its wheels, totaled, destroyed. It was trauma for me, not just physical trauma. I'm okay, I'm uninjured, I'm sore and bruised and shaken. My sweetheart has been taking wonderful care of me. but I've been feeling very, very vulnerable, broken before God. Part of what God has been doing in my life in the last several years is re causing me to repent and causing me to become smaller and smaller and smaller. In other words, having no confidence in myself, having no confidence in my flesh. At the same time, my confidence in Jesus has been growing by leaps and bounds. When the word of God comes to me as I read it in the scriptures, it demands a change. It demands placing my trust and my faith and my confidence in Jesus and not in myself 
my circumstances. Now, I don't have a car. My car is gone. It's, it has been moved to the junkyard. I turned in the license plates yesterday. I'll cancel the insurance this afternoon. And all of that makes me feel very vulnerable. I looked death square in the face. And the Lord raised me out of it. And on one hand, I'm rejoicing. I'm, I'm thanking Jesus for his kindness to me. For it was great mercy and great kindness in sparing my life. On the other hand, I recognize what it was when that wheel dropped over the edge of that culvert to be totally out of control. My outcome did not depend on my skill as a driver. There was nothing I could do except ride that bucking automobile into its total destruction and have God totally save me out of that. I mean, no broken bones, just sore muscles and bruises. I rejoice in Jesus for that. But you see, as it says in Mark, only in his hometown among his relatives and in his own house is a prophet without honor. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. I want to suggest to you today that lack of faith equals being much too big in their own eyes, in their own ability, in their own pride. And God has been working so faithfully in my life to totally break the pride, to bring me into faith in my innermost part, in my inner heart and being, to recognize that I can't, I can't do the work of God. The Holy Spirit must do that work. I can't build a church. The Holy Spirit builds the church. It's by the blood of Jesus. It's by the power of God. I can't read the scriptures that I've just shared with you and walk in any illusion of my own self. And so the events of the last days and the events of the last several years have caused my heart to be very humble and recognize that I only live by the grace of God. Now, what that does is it builds faith in my heart it gives me confidence in the word of Jesus. It clarifies forever who is God. Now, as soon as this episode in Nazareth began to take place, the people are furious. They're, they're livid. 
In fact, they're mad enough they're going to kill him if they can. Now, I've been in Nazareth, and it's about an hour's walk to that cliff where they tried to throw Jesus off. So they, I'm sure, shoved and pushed, growled and were nasty to Jesus for about that hour. And when they got him to the brow of that hill, and let me tell you, it's not just a hill, it's a cliff. I stood on that cliff. I wanted to sit down on the top and let my legs dangle over the edge, but it was too frightening. He would have died. He would have lost his life. But the scriptures say in Luke 4, verse 30, but he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. And then he went to Capernaum. He didn't go back to Nazareth. In fact, his home now was found in Capernaum and not Nazareth. He left them. He walked away from them. I want you to know that Jesus, if mistreated, will finally walk away. So, I want to come back to the Mark passage. Let me read this for you. Jesus then went around and literally in the Greek it says, Jesus went in circles. In other words, he he made a circuit around the towns, around the Sea of Galilee. And as he went, there was amazement in his heart of his treatment in Nazareth. And so, He calls the twelve to him. And now he sends them out two by two, giving them authority over evil spirits. And they were to go and they were to preach that people should repent. Now, what do we mean by repent? Can I give you a an understanding that I've come to? Yes, repent means, in the Greek, two words. It means to totally change course, a radical change of course. And not just a change of course, but a total inward change of how I think, what I feel. Now he sends the disciples and he says, go out and preach that people should repent. And if you look at Mark, the first chapter, Mark, the first chapter, verse 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. What is the good news of God? That the kingdom of heaven has come. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, let me give you 
my interpretation and the way I understand it. He's saying, repent, allow the word I speak to you to reduce you in size so that you no longer put any confidence in your flesh or in your talents or in your abilities. No longer take any pride in your work, but repent. Turn and give everything to Jesus. There's another element in this story, which we were discussing before the broadcast began. After this crowd tried to kill Jesus, his response was not to sulk. His response was not to get discouraged. He didn't keep head, beating his head against a brick wall and try to convince them to change their minds. He simply left and then turned it around and empowered these 12 disciples to do the very same things that he had been doing. So not only was his life saved, not only was he not thrown off the cliff, not only was he not discouraged from doing the work of God, but he then turned around and gave more people the ability to do the work of God. And this is a great encouragement to us. If you find yourself in a situation where your, uh, your gifts or your contributions or your prayers or your assistance are not just being, you know, this isn't like, oh, well, I'm not getting as much gratitude as I want, but where there's actually open hostility and an attempt to stop you from serving God, this is a good example for us that we do have that freedom to leave and to go to people who really do want help because there are plenty of people who want help and don't have anybody to help them. So we're, we're to follow Jesus Christ's example and go where we can serve. Now, if you look at verse 8, these were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. The words, look, don't pack a suitcase. Travel light. No bread. No bag. No money in your belt. Wear sandals, but not an extra tunic. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave as a testimony against them. And they went out and preached that people should repent. And they drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil, and they were healed. Now, this is just astonishing to me. I haven't ever seen that. Have you? Oh, I hear about it. We've read about the Argentine revival. We've read about other revivals and things that are happening in China, Africa, different parts of the world. Some of the powerful movings of God at the turn of the century in America. But what about now? I think the word of God to us is very clear. Repent. Reduce your life. Reduce your ego. 
how you view yourself. Turn in humility to Jesus. Again, I want to say to you, if as you read the scriptures, they do not invoke in you a dramatic shift and change, you have not yet heard the word of the living God. Jesus was so incredibly radical in his call to godliness and his call to be a part of the kingdom of heaven. Here are the 12 disciples. They've been given authority over sickness and over demons. They were told to go out without any personal security. In other words, don't take a hidden money belt so you can bail out if you need to. Go as you are. Walk in the power of the Spirit of God as he opens the way before you. We're so, let me talk about me. I am so apt to do what I think is best. And I am learning and have learned. Stop. Wait on God. Don't push forward until I have a clear word from the Lord about what I'm to do and what I'm not to do. We're so competent and so large in our own eyes. Part of what's been happening to me these last days after the accident in the soreness of my physical body and in the loss of my car. I mean, this was a car given to me almost five years ago. I've driven it 55,000 miles. God has cared for me. It's gone. Well, my trust is not in the car. My trust is in Jesus. My trust is in my Lord. We can talk about this, but the reality is it has to be something that happens in your life where you stop the go-go lifestyle, where you turn off the television and you turn off all the other entertainment flow that come into your life and cause you to be unconscious toward the Holy Spirit, where you literally stop being the normal American and begin to hunger and thirst after Jesus and let him bring about that dramatic change in your heart of humility and waiting upon the Lord. Yeah, so you've been speaking of the people to which the disciples were sent in these villages, that they were telling them to change their hearts and lives to repent. And at the same time, they were casting out many demons, anointing sick people with oil and healing them. Mm -hmm. I want to also hone in on the other side here. Uh, as you've said, you're going through a, a time of where you're being reduced. Now, there's also the other side of Jesus' instructions to the disciples. He says, whatever house you enter, remain there until you leave that place. If a place doesn't welcome you or listen to you, 
as you leave, shake the dust off your feet as a witness against them. I think that the kingdom of God would do well and would be a lot more successful if, as Christians, we would take this to heart. Um, we often have a powerful conversion. We have such a sensation of having received the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is speaking to us clearly. And yet we somehow get entangled in some kind of teaching or in a particular church or with a, maybe a group of Christians, or maybe just one person, someone in your family perhaps, and they begin to get you off track. And so you start to question what the Holy Spirit is telling you, and then you don't do things that you think the Holy Spirit is telling you because now you're doubting, and you're saying, well, maybe that's not really the Holy Spirit. And the longer this goes on, the more confused you become until eventually you you don't even really know how to hear God's voice. And this would all be avoided if we simply did what Jesus said. If a place doesn't welcome you or listen to you as you leave. So we are to leave, first of all. And secondly, shake the dust off of our feet. Meaning we're not going to continue dwelling on it. We're not going to mull over it. We're simply going to leave and go where we can help people. And I want you to really think about this. These disciples were casting out demons and they were healing the sick. These are major significant things that these disciples were doing. It wasn't just, oh, I'm speaking to them and they feel better. But if they had not listened to Jesus's word, if they had tried to stay in villages where they weren't wanted, all of these people who were healed, all of these people who had demons cast out of them, they never would have been healed. They never would have had the demons cast out. And this is what I mean. There would have been a tremendous loss to God's kingdom if this word had not been obeyed. So I want to encourage you today, if, if you are resonating with that other side where it's not that you need to grow smaller, but it's that you've really been beaten into a place of doubting and now you're so small you don't even know what's going on. Well, that this word is for you too. I encourage you to get back to know that Jesus is not against you no matter what has happened to you in the church or in your family or anything, but that he does want to restore you to that leading of the Holy Spirit and that he does still have a place in his kingdom for you. And let's be clear together. When I say being reduced in size, I don't mean being reduced to slavery or being reduced to abuse. I mean being reduced in my own eyes that Jesus could be larger. John the Baptist said, he must increase and I must decrease. So it's not decrease in regard to ministry, it's decrease in terms of pride, in terms of arrogance. It's not, if I don't get my way, I'm out of here. It's a humility, a Christ-likeness. I think you described it well when you described your accident. You recognized that you had no control over the outcome and that really is all of our case. 
each day we wake up by God's grace and we don't know what will happen that day. There are many things beyond our control. And so our life really is dependent on a day-to-day basis on the mercy of God. And we should treat that as um, something that we're responsible for, that we're stewards of, where, okay, God has granted me this day to be on this earth, and I want to use that for him. Literally, I want to use that for him. I don't want to just go live out my life as though my life belongs to me. My life doesn't belong to me. It belongs to Jesus. Now, the problem I have in even talking about this today, and I prayed a lot before I came on the air with you, is again this issue that I can read the scriptures and intellectually grab a hold of it as an American, but then not be able to get a hold of it in terms of how I live. So people will say, yes, I pray. Yes, I read the Bible. But if you begin to be very specific, how much time did you spend today reading the scriptures? How much time did you spend praying today? Well, I, I had about five minutes this morning or they'll say, well, it's it's been a week or two, meaning it's been a month or two. Americans somehow think that when we say something, it becomes reality. This is a good point to mention. If you are one of these people and you want to get on track with your Bible, I started a one-year Bible reading plan this year, and I love it. They're available for free. I'm using the one it's offered by Discipleship Journal. That's Discipleship Journal, and they have, I think, three different plans. And it's great because it makes reading the Bible so manageable. You realize it really only takes 15 minutes a day on the plan to actually read through the entire scriptures in a year, and they even include catch-up days. So if you fall behind, you're not done for. So I encourage you, if you do want to get more on track with reading the scriptures, with tuning into the voice of God, those reading plans can be found. Just search for Discipleship Journal on any search engine. And you know, it's been very enjoyable to watch as Alexandra has met with people who are struggling in the faith, who are beginning in the faith, and sit in the living room and read aloud the scriptures with each other. I enjoy it so much, I'll go out and just sit with them and listen. But still, I want to come back to the key point. The disciples went out and preached, repent. Repent and believe, Jesus said. So literally, the struggle is not to hear the word of God intellectually, but to hear the word of God in your spirit so that it connects with you. Now, when I first started many years ago to read the scriptures, 
after a few minutes, I became sleepy, and my mind became dull, and I literally had to get up and walk around the room reading the scripture out loud. I only, at that point in my life, used the scriptures to prepare and research for sermons. I didn't do what I call now leisure reading, just for fun reading, just to enjoy the presence of the Lord reading. I had no taste because my taste buds had been so seared by the modern entertainment, and I found I had to jettison all of that so that I could regain my taste for holy things. Galatians 5, verse 16. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Now, what repentance does is it destroys the desires of the sinful nature. That's the glory of repentance. And it welcomes us into walking in the Spirit of God. So if your heart is filled with anger, bitterness, jealousy, defensiveness, if your heart is filled with lust for the things of the world, it won't change until you literally get on your face before God and become totally honest with him and tell him how much you love that sin, how much you enjoy being angry, how much you enjoy being bitter. Oh, you say, oh, I don't enjoy being angry and bitter. If you are angry and bitter, it's because you enjoy it. Because there is a way out, and the way out is repentance. Turning from it and giving it into the hand of Jesus and trusting him to bring to pass in your life, in a very practical way, new life and a new love for Jesus. The sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other. You see, in this battle that goes on in our heart, we have to become conscious of it. We have to become conscious of how big we have become in our own eyes and how, how angry we are at God and begin to deal with those issues honestly so that the Spirit of God can come upon us to heal the sick, to cast out the demons. But this requires an honesty in our heart where we ask Jesus, Jesus, would you come? Would you reveal all that you're not happy with in my heart? so that those things can be put away, literally, so that I can become free, so that I can go do the work that God has called all of his people to, which is to heal the sick and cast out the demons. 
That's what we're called to. That is what the kingdom of God is all about. It's about freedom. It's about recognizing that I can walk clean before God. Colossians, third chapter. Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. In other words, don't set your hearts on things here on the earth, but let yourself be reduced on this earth. Let go of the pride. Let go of the self-sufficiency. And stand up in the power of Jesus Christ for the healing of the sick and the casting out of demons. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. As I rode in that car, flipping over on its roof, coming back on its wheels, I knew my life in the flesh could be snuffed out in a moment. But my life that is now hidden in Jesus Christ cannot be stolen from me. It says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. That's what we want. We want to appear with Jesus in glory. So as I look at this, well, let me read it to you. In Galatians, I'm sorry, Colossians, the second chapter. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with, with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom and with their self-imposed worship, the false humility and the harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. So Jesus is saying, look, don't beat yourself up. Recognize you've been called to live in Jesus Christ. And that requires letting go of our pride, letting go of self-imposed worship, letting go of treating the body harshly because there seems to be some element that makes me feel better if I make myself an anorexic or I make myself do something else, or I fast far more than I should. If I mistreat my body, he's saying, look, that doesn't restrain self-indulgence. The only thing that restrains self-indulgence is repentance and faith in Jesus. Jesus. 
I recognize today that most of those who call themselves Christians believe in unconditional love. And they believe that they can come to Jesus just as they are. And that Jesus will accept them. And they can accept Jesus. But there will be no real change in their life. The only difference will be that they have now added the fellowship called the church and they're taking classes and learning strategies for how to improve their life. But at the very heart of their heart, they're the same old, same old. Bitter, angry, given to sin, given to darkness. And the message that we're bringing to you today is that we don't have to be like the people in Jesus' hometown that become angry and bitter and turn against Jesus. He's called us to be free. He's called us to walk out of the bondage of this flesh and of this world to be reduced in our pride and our arrogance to be filled with himself so that we can be used for the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I'm very grateful to be alive today. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. Thank you for preserving my life. But Jesus, I renounce my life and declare that it is your life and that I am your servant. And I pray, Lord, that you will not walk away from us because our hearts are so rebellious. And as Alexandra has said, you would not stay in a place where you were utterly rejected and where they tried to kill you. You walked away and you sent your disciples out to all the other villages and towns and worked incredible miracles of mercy. Lord, I just sense today that there are some listening to this broadcast who have for perhaps even many years remained in a place that was abusive, judgmental, and they've completely shut down. I'm asking, Lord, would you bring that person to life today? Would you cause them to walk away and find a place in you where they're no longer cast down, where they're received with joy and peace. And Lord, please, if we have been a part of being judgmental and abusive, 
would you forgive us and change the heart of every person who has participated in that kind of darkness. Lord, I know that as I'm in the prayer closet sitting before you, bringing to you the key issues of healing for brothers and sisters, asking for the miracle of demons to be cast out. I know you keep chipping me down on the lathe to be smaller and smaller in my own eyes that I would be totally given to you. Lord, thank you. We come with, with joy in our hearts, knowing that you are the living God. Lord, come. Come with healing and restoration. And give us the courage, Lord, to let us be reduced in size that we could be as your apostles sent out to do your work. Lord, thank you. I pray in your holy name. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. We are Pastor Ray Greenlee and Alexandra Greenlee. You can reach us by visiting nationalprayerchapel.com. That's nationalprayerchapel.com. You're also welcome to write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Again, that's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Just search for National Prayer Chapel. Today we received the last of the pledges for January. <clears throat> Thank you very much, each of you who participated in covering the cost for the month of January. And now as we face February, we don't want to have another train wreck at the end of the month. So we ask, please, would you continue to give? I can't do this broadcast. We can't do this broadcast without you. We trust Jesus to move in your heart and open the way. And he's done that for the month of January. And we're trusting him for, again, the month of February. I want to invite you also to prayerfully consider, are you looking for a place of love and acceptance? Are you looking for a place where you can Learn how to be reduced in size and grow large in the spirit of the living God where you can be filled with his presence, where you can wait with other Christians for the coming baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you would like to come to the National Prayer Chapel, simply call me and I'll give you directions and you're welcome to come. We meet at 10 a.m. on Sunday morning, again in a house church setting. 
Call me at 703-489-1785. Again, it's 703-489-1785. I pray today that as you have listened to this broadcast, you won't just forget about what you've heard, but you'll go into the prayer closet and you'll ask the Lord, would you call me to repentance? Would you call me to a much deeper understanding of the work of God in my life? Would you begin to make sense and give direction for what you want me to be and do? In the name of Jesus, amen. God bless you, my brother, my sister. We'll talk to you soon. With great joy Now unto him who is able To keep you from falling And to present you blameless Before the presence of his glory With great joy Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.